Good morning and welcome to Back Chat uh, with uh, Paul Zimmerman and me, Jim Gould. Uh, and on this morning's uh, Back Chat, we're going to be talking about uh, events and developments uh, in the tension between uh, Russia and Ukraine. And just before I, uh, I welcome our two guests for this part of the programme, um, a few emails uh, left over from a COVID update before nine o'clock, which I will just uh, quickly read. So uh, please uh, bear with me, everybody. Uh, so um, this one from Eric says, uh, we're now two years into COVID and more than a year since vaccinations became available in Hong Kong. And yet it appears from a citizen's point of view that uh, the government is completely unprepared for COVID right now. The hospital authority is looking quite ridiculous in international media with uh, elderly and kids' beds outside in the open air in hospital car parks. What has the government been doing all these years apart from listening to Beijing about uh, national security laws? Can someone please explain what all the civil servants have actually been doing to be prepared? Because it appears from my perspective that we are completely unprepared. Uh, and uh, so TC writes, why not steam ahead to vaccinate all people as the first priority, if not uh, comfortable or afraid, possibly a one half or at least a one quarter dose. A um, couple of other emails on the subject, which I will save till later or tomorrow, because we want to get on with our uh, main subject for this back chat, which is the situation uh, in Ukraine and in uh, Russia, uh, surrounding Ukraine. Uh, we're joined uh, on the line by uh, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, who's a professor of politics and director of the International Graduate Programme in Politics at uh, East China Normal University, and also Alejandro Reyes, uh, director of knowledge dissemination and professor at the Asia Global Institute at the University of Hong Kong. Um, good morning to uh, both of you. Uh, perhaps, uh, pr Professor Reyes, if we could uh, ask you first. So, uh, the latest developments, uh, the, uh, the Russian side says they're pulling back uh, some of their forces um, from, the, uh, from the Crimea. And uh, after, they say, having uh, completed military exercises. Um, but uh, NATO says uh, it doesn't see any evidence of that. Mm. What's, what's your understanding of the situation? Indeed. Uh, thank you very much. Um, good morning. Uh, um, I'm happy to be here. Um, I think uh, it's interesting to um, uh, the reports that I've seen. I think the British uh, intelligence and um, others who have, have said that there's no evidence, and I think uh, Biden himself said, or, or the United States has also said that there's no evidence of any um, um, withdrawal of any sort from the border. So um, it would seem that, uh, again, this is a kind of um, power play, shadow play on the part of Moscow, the part of Putin. Um, so um, I think um, what we have to uh, wait for is further uh, developments in, on the diplomatic front, if that's at all possible. We've seen um, visits by uh, President Macron of France. We've just seen a visit to Moscow by uh, the new uh, German Chancellor Olaf Schultz. Schultz. And um, uh, those visits don't seem to have really done very much, but uh, at least they are keeping the temperature uh, uh, from rising much further. 
and uh, and that's where we are. I think uh, at this point, it's um, it, it doesn't seem like there is any real uh, withdrawal from the border of Russian forces. Mm. Is, is he Putin pushing for this is the line? Don't come closer, or does he want new territory or, or gain territory back? Well, I mean, at, the, at, at, at this stage, the, the Russians already control to some extent. Uh, I mean, they have Crimea, Crimea, but mm -hmm. they also in the Donbas region. Um, they have, uh, I think, Russians there, and it's um, not completely under the, not under the control of the um, of uh, Kiev, the Kiev government. So, um, uh, I, 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 whether they want to um, take more land or territory, mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's it's more that they want to destabilize uh, Ukraine and in some way um, perhaps change the leadership there so there's a more a leadership that's more sympathetic to to Russia um, I don't think it's essentially about um, trying to grab territory or invade or take over uh, Ukraine but at least um, strengthen uh, the the, the um, al alignment between Ukraine And, and Russia in, in view of the encroachment, as they see it, mm -hmm. of uh, the West, of NATO, uh, to their doorstep. Okay. Um, Professor Mahoney, good morning to you. Good morning. Do you think uh, NATO and the West uh, is, have paid um, you know, uh, due consideration to uh, Russia's security concerns in all of this? Well, you know, I think I would disagree uh, a little bit with, with the first analysis, and uh, I would say that uh, uh, NATO and, and primarily the United States have, have uh, uh, taken a lead role in destabilizing uh, Ukraine, going back to the Velvet Revolution, but even before that, uh, with the enticements of, of NATO uh, moving uh, eastward, uh, um, there were always elements in Ukraine that, that were looking in the direction of the West, and I, I think that we see um, uh, that division in Ukraine leading uh, in part to uh, the situation that we have today. Uh, as far as the, the reports, you know, that, um, that we're seeing from, from um, Washington and, and even uh, NATO, that uh, satellite images show that, that more troops are coming to the border and, and not um, uh, um, withdrawing. Um, I have to, I, I have a, I, I don't doubt that, that that Moscow is still pressing um, this danger, um, but uh, there's, there is some reason to believe that at least some troops are coming back, uh, in part because February 16th was, you know, hyped as, as D-Day uh, by the United States, because military analysts know that uh, uh, Russians had been in this high state of readiness uh, to, uh, to such a long period of time that that some of them were going to have to start cycling out. And so he was either going to have to uh, start to withdraw or attack. That's why yesterday was, was supposed to be the big day. So it's possible that he's, that he's pulling some out uh, to, to give them a spell, and, but also bringing more in, um, uh, but only selling it well. Uh, that is difficult to discern at this moment. But I think what we do have to, to uh, consider Uh, in the case of, of uh, U.S. intelligence and British intelligence, um, are that U.S. and I think increasingly U.K. strategic objectives uh, have have arguably 
uh, decided that it may be best um, for their strategic objectives for Russia to go ahead and invade. Um, and what, that would, that, what would, would that lead to? Uh, if that happened, if, if that happened, what would that lead to? Well, the, the first thing it does is, you know, the U.S. has been has been um, uh, long opposed to uh, Nord Stream two, to uh, Europe uh, uh, getting energy from Russia. Uh, the U.S. has been pushing uh, NATO onto uh, uh, Russia's borders. The U.S. did take a leading role in destabilizing. Uh, Ukraine and creating this uh, insecurity. And we know going back into history um, um, that uh, uh, the UK, um, um, you know, the, 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 and, and go back to 1989, not to go too far off track here, uh, when the wall was, was, before the wall came down, Berlin the one Berlin. person who was, who, who was most uh, adamantly opposed to this in Europe was Thatcher, because she had you know, these projections that a unified uh, Germany would become a dominant power and it would uh, transform uh, Britain's role vis-a-vis uh, 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 Europe. So, I would like to get uh, Alejandro to, to counter your argument. I mean, it's whether, you know, right now we're seeing the US and the UK destabilizing Ukraine, or whether we see Russia destabilizing Ukraine, as Alejandro just uh, suggested. Alejandro? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I kind of agree uh, with Professor Mahoney on, the, on, the si- on, on this issue of, um, you know, what is the U.S. and what, are the, what is the West doing? And, and I do think that there is a kind of, um, uh, dare I say, kind of ginning up of, uh, of war to some extent. Um, and, and I think there is a political a domestic political element to this, because I think uh, Biden, having um, suffered this kind of humiliating foreign policy embarrassment uh, in Afghanistan, and then, um, you know, in the aftermath of Donald Trump's um, budding up with Putin and, and, and being seen as um, as, as almost uh, being um, a, a, an asset of, of Russia, uh, that uh, Biden is kind of caught in this, uh, and, and of course, given his low poll ratings, um, I'm not saying that there's a wag the dog situation here going, but but I do think that there is, um, there are clouds of war that are gathering in Washington, and not necessarily just over uh, Ukraine, and um, uh, it, it, it's um, uh, that to me is a worrying thing, particularly um, uh, if. The uh, West is not able to kind of um, understand or uh, approach Putin in a way that deals with his concerns. Now, I, I'd just like to underscore that there is diplomacy going on. I mean, the Normandy format talks, of, uh, they've had meetings. Uh, this is um, Germany, France, Ukraine, and Russia. They have had talks in January. They just had one on February 10. And another a meeting of representatives in the Normandy format is supposed to go on. Um, it is scheduled for March. So there is room for, democracy, uh, for diplomacy, and diplomacy is happening. The, the question is, um, how effective can it be, given that there is this distance great distance between the United States and Russia, um, particularly over recent ye- in recent years, and, and Biden's own reaction post-Trump. Mm. 
Professor okay, well, Mahoney. Let's just, yeah, yeah. Let's just ask uh, mm. Professor Mahoney because uh, because you, you were saying that uh, that the U.S. Uh, that uh, NATO may feel it's in its interests if Russia did uh, invade Ukraine. Mm. Um, in which case, there, there wouldn't be much hope for diplomacy, would there? Yeah, I think I think the key issue here is, um, you know, I, I think that because I was talking to a number of European colleagues and analysts in, in the past week, and there was this growing suspicion that um, that the U.S. did favor uh, conflict. That um, and this is why you saw Macron and uh, Schulz uh, then trying their own efforts to because th th they knew that Europe would pay a, a huge price. For example. Can we imagine the refugee problem in Germany, right, on top of COVID, uh, so forth and so on? These are the conversations that are happening in Berlin now. Yes. So the, 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 you, you start having these efforts from the European capitals to say, hold on, maybe we can figure something out here. And then there were also some reports that maybe uh, Ukraine started to see that, that the U.S. Was, was maybe even leaning in the direction of, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's in our interest for you, uh, Russia, to attack. Uh, and this is where we started hearing... Uh, reports of possible uh, concessions being offered uh, to Russia uh, from Kiev. Now, all of that's all of that's still, I think, in a very dynamic stage, and it's really hard to know, uh, you know, which way it's leaning at this point. Certainly, the the danger uh, still remains. But I would add one more thing to uh, the to the to the thing about uh, uh, U.S. politics uh, playing a role here. Uh, yes, Biden is a weak president, but we have to remember that Biden's political brand which was alluded to in part, was that he was going to, that he was going to stand tough against Russia, um, uh, distinct from uh, uh, Trump. And, um, you know, this is uh, um, uh, where he's kind of been caught uh, while also being incredibly weak. And we know that uh, U.S. Presidents, presidents, whenever they face uh, uh, bad old numbers at home, whenever they face weakness at home, they tend to try to maximize they're almost absolute power in foreign policy mm, okay. um, to distract, okay. to project as, uh, an image of strength. And um, this, this intersects directly with his, his campaign narrative of being strong against Russia. So uh, maybe it is the tail wagging the dog. I don't know. Okay, uh, an email here from uh, listener Dan says uh, the obvious question is how would war between Ukraine and Russia impact Hong Kong in the short and long term? Uh, uh, Professor Mahoney, could you answer that, do you think? Well, I, I don't know that I could answer uh, how it would impact uh, Hong Kong specifically, but I think, um, you know, there have been some allegations in, uh, from uh, Scott Morrison out of Australia <laughs> that uh, China has somehow encouraged uh, Russia uh, to attack. Um, and uh, I think that I think the, the, the opposite is true. I think had China actually encouraged it, uh, Putin might have already gone in. Um, um, I think that, I, I suspect that China is, is projecting a restraint uh, privately. Uh, because uh, on the one hand, uh, China tends towards a, a position of, of dealing with known knowns. They don't like uh, instability. They don't like things that uh, they have to, you know, quickly shift tactics or make adaptation to, to, to deal with. And that's what they would have to do. I mean, there are all sorts of possibilities here um, uh, of what happens with, with war. But, but uh, one of them could be, you know, if Russia messes it up terribly, uh, it emboldens the United States. And, and that doesn't sit well with China. Um, 
And if it goes poorly uh, uh, against hmm. the Chinese ally, that's also poor uh, uh, for China. But if it goes really well, like the, 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 you know, the, the, the best case scenario for Russia, um, one of the questions it raises is what's the, what's the impact on the U.S. dollar? And there are concerns that you know the dollar is slowly on its way out, but these kind of uh, these kind of ruptures uh, could push it down fast. China is looking forward to a period of, of you know post dollar hegemony, but it's not ready for it yet. I think Russia's ready for it, but China isn't. So I think we're I think we're seeing restraint now. In so much as you know, what's in China's interest is also in Hong Kong's interest. Um, that's what I can speak to. Right, right. Uh, Ms. Okay. Can I just ask the question from to, to both of you? I mean, if if you have to put your dollar somewhere, I mean, what what is the risk that this is going to get to blows? That, that we're going to get see at least uh, some shooting uh, taking place? Uh, maybe Professor Reyes first. Um, on that, I'm um, I actually remain uh, skeptical that um, there's going to be anything. Um, the, uh, any real invasion of Ukraine by Russian forces. Um, uh, so so um, I, I don't really want to put a number on it. Uh, can, can I go back just to the China question? Sure. Because I think this is very important. Um, you know, a lot was made of uh, the meeting, recent meeting between Putin and uh, President Xi in Beijing uh, prior, at the opening of the uh, Beijing Olympics. Um, and that there was the, the statement and qualification of of, the, of their ties, uh, and it you know the, the, oh, Beijing and Moscow are coming together because uh, uh, the U.S. and Russia are, are at odds over Ukraine. Um, I, I think this this overestimates the uh, closeness uh, between um, Russia and and China, in particular because China has significant interests in Ukraine, in a, in a stable Ukraine and in an uh, economically productive Ukraine, particularly as Ukraine is a kind of important link, connector uh, for the Silk Road economic belt, the um, China Central Asia, West Asia economic corridor, important um, uh, pathways for the uh, BRI uh, that um, uh, China has been propagating. So I, I, I think that um, it's, it's a rather simplistic to say that China has is, is come to the aid and is uh, support, so supportive of, of, of Russia. And um, so I do agree with uh, Professor Mahoney on that, and I, but I think it's very important, especially on the issue of Taiwan. I don't think we should automatically assume that um, uh, you know, uh, China would be a cheerleader for invading uh, uh, another country or a territory. And China's economy needs stability in the rest of the world right now. I mean, there is, there is enough issues with, uh, with uh, uh, the economy in China. Right, right, in, indeed. And, and, and I think, um, uh, you know, China is, uh, is dealing with uh, all sorts of domestic problems, challenges. The United States is too. And uh, Russia uh, also, and I, one of the aspects of this that I find very puzzling is that Russia is really not the Soviet Union. Russia is not a very big economy. Russia is like, I don't know, uh, a much smaller economy and, uh, uh, than either the United States um, and, or China. And um, I guess uh, what gives Russia the cloud is it is a nuclear power. But at the end of the day, uh, uh, Russia, is, uh, particularly faced with sanctions, would really be in dire straits, um, particularly serious sanctions that might uh, affect its econo economy um, 
uh, including such things as excluding them from, say, the um, SWIFT payment system. And Professor Mahoney, the, the risk that this comes to blows from your point of view? I think the danger remains. I think that um, if we see um, some concessions, as, as have been uh, suggested, out of Kiev, uh, I, I, think, I think Putin can, can continue to pressure, and this, this type of instability that can, can linger, and Kiev will come to the understanding that it will never have security, even if it's in NATO, on the front lines, which Russia isn't going to allow. But, but it will never have security if it doesn't have a good relationship with Moscow. And so I think that we're going to reach a point where that realization will take hold, people will find some way to save face, but then we'll come to a new normal. Um, it's really not in Russia's interest to go to war. There's no exit strategy. There's no way to get out of it. Um, but they can keep the pressure up and keep the instability up to the point where it will cripple Ukraine and not be able to move forward without actually having to go to war. I, I suspect that that's the way it will go out uh, or continue. Uh, but, you know, people are on a hair trigger right now, and the U.S., in my opinion, is goading. So things, things are quite da uh, dangerous. What if NATO were to make a declaration that uh, Ukraine would uh, never be admitted to the organization? I mean, w w would that... Is that likely to happen, or, and what, what difference would that make? Well, they're, they're, it has absolutely no... Um, you, NATO has said they will never say that, and, and in mm. fact, mm. I don't think the way they're structured, they could say they could that. Say that yeah. um, but on the other hand, um, you know, in the past, we had, we had the U.S. saying NATO wouldn't expand uh, um, uh, eastward, uh, and yet it did. So uh, there's these sort of ironclad security guarantees that you will never expand or that you won't include someone in your alliance, these aren't really worth the paper they're written on. Okay, okay. Well, thanks very much uh, for joining us, uh, yeah, both good. of you, uh, on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, very uh, illuminating. Thank mm. you. That's Professor Joseph Gregory Mahoney, uh, Professor of Politics at the Director and uh, Director of uh, the International Pro, uh, graduate program in politics at East China Normal University and also thank you to Alejandro Reyes, uh, Director of Knowledge Dissemination and Professor at the Asia Global Institute at the University of Hong Kong. Thank you very much uh, to you both yeah. and now we're going to turn our attention to this. And we're now joined by our sports reporter, Atom Cheung, to get the latest uh, on the Beijing Winter Olympics. Um, Atom, what are we going to start with? Another gold for China? Yeah, another goal for China. This one came from uh, Qi Guangpu, a 31-year-old from Jiangsu who won gold in the freestyle skiing men's aerials. Uh, this is a pretty good story because uh, he's competing in his fourth Olympics. Uh, and I think four years ago, he finished just outside of the podium, and this time he finally got it. So it's good to see him win. Uh, he keeps a very low profile. It's very different from uh, some of the younger athletes, uh, like Gu Ling, who's getting all the attention here. Uh, Qi Guangpu uh, from Jiangsu, just quietly doing his thing, uh, just believing that one day he'll get the chance. And finally, he got it, and that gave China uh, a seventh gold. Mm. Uh, nice so one. 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, very good. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, uh, the end of uh, Hong Kong's Beijing 2022 campaign. Yeah, and it's too bad also that uh, Adrian Young wasn't able to complete the course in the uh, men's slalom. So it's been it's been tough for Hong Kong on the ski slopes. Uh, we had three cracks at it, uh, Adrian yesterday, and he also uh, was uh, competing in the uh, giant slalom earlier. And also Audrey King couldn't finish uh, her mm. first run in the slalom last week. So it's been tough for us. Uh, but I just want to mention that, you know, in this Olympics, Hong Kong sent three athletes. This is the most that uh, Hong Kong has ever sent to a winter well, game. We never had any snow in Hong Kong. <laughs> yes, but there's a pretty vibrant uh, program in winter sports in Hong Kong. Mm. And I really hope that uh, people would pay more attention to it because Hong Kong has been represented in the winter games at every edition since the Salt Lake City games in 2002. So this is nothing new to Hong Kong. And I believe in the 2017 Asian Winter Games, we sent more than 50 competitors there. So, so uh, you know, it, it's been around and I hope more people can uh, follow this. Okay, and what you might call that shock exits for the U.S. and Canada in men's hockey. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's what I said earlier, you know, but if I sit back and think about it, to, to say it's a shock may be a bit of a disrespect to the other countries. After all, this competition, the men's hockey competition, there are no professional players here, so it's a more level playing field. Canada lost to Sweden 2-0. Uh, the Americans lost to Slovakia. Uh, to, I mean, both Sweden and Slovakia are very strong hockey mm. programs. They produce star NHL players regularly. So uh, it's no shame in that, but for sure, disappointment for Canada. This is the first time they finished outside of the podium in a men's hockey event since uh, 2016 in Turin. Uh, you mentioned Gu Ailing uh, earlier. I mean, she's back in action today. That's right, she is. So she's competing in the free ski uh, half-pipe uh, qualifications uh, this morning and I remember seeing in an interview that she said this is her favorite event and this is her, uh, the, her third and final event after of course she won gold in the big air and uh, silver in the slope style I'm actually very interested to see uh, how her success will influence young people in Hong Kong, not only in sports, but also the way she carries herself, you know, born and raised in California, very sort of outspoken and uh, at the same time also very re respectful, full of self-confidence. And, and I'd love to see how that rubs off on young people in China. Mm -hmm. she, in she, Hong Kong. She, has, she has a Chinese mother, of course, which is why she's competing. Exactly, China, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and just full of confidence as well. And, and fluent Mandarin. Yeah, good. And also we've got to look forward to the uh, uh, figure skating final, the ladies free skate. That's right. So uh, the Russian Kamila Valieva has the lead going into tonight's free skate. Of course, lots of controversy here. She's caught in a, in a doping scandal. She hasn't received her team gold uh, because uh, doping evidence was revealed after she had won that event. Very but sad. Uh, it, it is uh, very sad and also unfair, not only to Valieva, but, but to all the athletes.